Welcome to episode 40 of the GoFull Crypto Podcast. In this episode, Rugakshi and I are going to talk about hyper-Bitcoinization, which is a big scary word that really just means what happens when Bitcoin consumes the entire world. What kind of world? In a good way. In a good way, (laughs) yes. Uh, Bitcoin has been called a black hole that is eventually going to suck up all of our all other asset classes and in this episode we discuss what that looks like uh, and the realisticness of whether or not that will happen and in what time frame so here we go The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. All right, Keegan, episode 40, you said something in the introduction that piqued my interest, so I'm going to ask it to you. Black hole. Bitcoin has been described as a black hole. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, that's actually... a that's a, that's a cool place to start because uh, black holes have this thing in uh, well they're this thing in space we actually just discovered them uh, uh, like about a hundred years ago with Einstein's theory of relativity uh, but they've all right Keegan <laughs> yeah I know this is a science podcast this is about physics not Bitcoin actually so uh, black holes have this thing called an event horizon and what that is an event horizon an event horizon yes and if an object were to pass the event horizon of a black hole, it is a certainty that that object will go to the center of the black hole. At that point in time, no amount of force, not even light, can escape the gravitational force of the black hole. And so Bitcoin has been described as a, like kind of tongue in cheek, in a, a tongue in cheek kind of way, as a black hole that is sucking up all of the uh, the world's assets into it. And uh, Okay, Keegan, I just, you know, got to take a step back here. Definitely, is, is let's, this do it. let's break po- it down. Well, no, 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 is this, is this a positive thing or a negative thing from your opinion? Because, you know, black holes suck up light. Yeah. And I like you will die in a black hole if you get sucked into it, if you've ever managed well, that's not, to that's not get been proven so yet. close. <laughs> okay, sure, this is true. I, I'm just going off of science fiction movies. So when Matthew McConaughey got sucked into a black hole, he was sent back in time. Is that what you were going to say? I was going to say that. He didn't die. Yeah. Okay. Spoiler alert, <laughs> by the way, for Interstellar, but... <laughs> When you're comparing this to Bitcoin, I'm wondering, are you saying that you like what's what's the analogy of the light that's being sucked into the black hole? Yeah, the analogy is that in some point in time uh, in our future, possibly um, Bitcoin will get so big, um, it'll the number will be so high and the number I mean as the price, the number of people using it, that there will be no returning to a world without Bitcoin. And so there's some people that make the argument that we're already there. We're already in a world where hyper-Bitcoinization happens. I, I would describe hyper-Bitcoinization as the center of the black hole and the event horizon being uh, some uh, critical mass of individuals or amount of money uh, that uh, that would make hyper-Bitcoinization a certainty in the future. But I thought time doesn't exist in a black hole. I don't know enough about physics to <laughs> determine whether or not that is, it's an analogy. Okay. The black hole is an analogy. It's not like, yeah, black, Bitcoin's literally a black hole. It's going to consume the earth. It's like, no, 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 no. I, well, how does the analogy make sense if 
if you know black holes sucks up time and sorry not time light and then if we measure time with respect to light but if there's no okay i'm gonna stop with this whole black hole tangent oh, i like it I, i'm, I'm well, enjoying the uh okay sure okay awesome then i just don't understand if you're if you've heard the analogy and if you're comparing it to bitcoin being a black hole of of what like bitcoin is the black hole and it's going to suck everything else up yeah so let's compare gold for example gold is a 10 trillion dollar asset and bitcoin when you say 10 trillion dollar asset you mean that the total price of gold if gold was to sell right now all of the gold it would be worth 10 trillion dollars like more so if you collect all the gold in one spot and were to weigh it and measure it uh, it'd be worth uh, 10 million 10 trillion dollars all the gold in the world is worth $10 trillion collectively. Okay. So Bitcoin is digital gold. And uh, what I mean by suck up the world of assets, when I say that, I mean, what if Bitcoin um, like ate gold market cap? So all the people... What have, is market cap? Uh, the total value of all the gold in the world. Okay. Yeah. So if Bitcoin... Um, sucked up the total value of all of the gold in the world then th that's what i mean by when i'm using the black hole analogy that's what i mean by suck up so if if everything started to be denominated or uh measured in bitcoin so how much is that host worth oh it's worth about two and a half bitcoin instead of oh it's two and a half thousand or two hundred and fifty thousand dollars right we use dollars as our measuring stick of of uh, value right now but hyper bitcoin in a hyper bitcoinized world Bitcoin is the uh, the measuring stick of value instead of gold or instead of dollars. All right. Yeah. And what was the event horizon thing? The event horizon is is a point of no return. So after this point in time in human history, and it's really difficult to tell. It's it could be in our future, and we could have already passed it. Yeah. Hyper Bitcoinization point... will happen after this event horizon. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just. I just want to um, put it out there that I. The point that you're talking about and how some people say that we've already passed it, like the point doesn't have to be one particular day or one particular month when you really scale out and you zoom out of this timeline that we're in, then the period from 2008 to 2015 can be the point in time that's um, right. that we crossed where like there's no return from that. If, if Bitcoin was going to be stopped, it would have been the point in time where <laughs> between 2008 and 2015, but that point has passed. Yeah, one one really interesting thing to think about is that the event horizon for Bitcoin is the Genesis block. It's it's the fact that Bitcoin was so turned for those on. Who don't yeah, know, go ahead. The Genesis block is the first block that was produced. The, the, and um, again, block with respect to blockchain. So blockchain is the infrastructure, the software upon which Bitcoin lives. And the Genesis block is the first block in this blockchain. Right. So we're talking about event horizon at like what point in time in Bitcoin's lifetime um, would hyper Bitcoinization be an inevitability? Well, like it's actually really interesting to consider that the event horizon is actually the very first block. As soon as you turn Bitcoin on, it's this uh, this hyperbolic uh, machine of, of Internet money that uh, that will consume the world. It's like it, that's an inevitability. That's really quite quite the interesting uh, thought experiment. Uh, the other interesting thought experiment is uh, that Bitcoin is not just 12 years old. It's actually about 52 years old. So we started building the uh, the technology and the, the pieces of Bitcoin started to come together 
um, in the late 60s, early 70s, and then a lot of work was done in the 80s, 90s, and, and early 2000s that actually led to Bitcoin being possible in 2009. So if we can actually like expand Bitcoin's lifetime back about to about 40 or 50 years and say, okay, uh, that actually kind of supports my hypothesis that uh, that the event horizon of Bitcoin is January 3rd, 2009. Since it was turned on, it's an inevitability that it'll eventually consume the world and everything will be measured in terms of Bitcoin. All things of value will be measured in terms of Bitcoin. And you're, so at what point in time do you think that's going to happen? 10, 20, 30 years? The, uh, where everything's measured in terms of Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. Um, I think this happens has to happen on an individual level. Uh, right. So it has happened on an individual level among with, with several several individuals. Right, with about a hundred, yeah, with several individuals. Right, so about a hundred million people use Bitcoin, but I would I still think in dollars, for example, it's really it's a really crazy fundamental shift. So I think it'll be a generational change, which means yeah. it'll be at least twenty years before you have people growing up where the entire family has only ever used and known. Uh, things in terms of the value of Bitcoin. And furthermore, it's really hard to calculate that on an ongoing basis because Bitcoin's price is very volatile. volatile right so now. it that first needs sense. to stabilize and then it needs to be widely adopted. So it could be like 40 or 60 years. So what do you think could trigger the stabilization event of Bitcoin? A destabilization event of everything else in the world. Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So that's I think that a destabilization event of everything else in the world is also... The, the trigger for accelerating hyper Bitcoinization. Yes. Um, so it kind of all will happen all at once instead of like one after another. I, gradually, I then suddenly. If gradually, you will. then suddenly. So this gradually, this started, like you said, about 50 years ago. It, it's not, Bitcoin didn't, the, the idea was sure. That's the long tail. Started in, yeah, 20, 2008, but um, the idea of having a money on the internet or having self-sovereignty with your money or having a digital cash system was planted many, 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 many years ago. That's right. Yeah. So let's explore what a world would look like in, in a hyper-Bitcoinized world. What, what exactly does that look like? How do countries do taxes? Do countries do taxes? Uh, like I, I kind of want you to go off on a little tangent here, or, or like post some questions, or and it, like seed the conversation with thoughts because you're really good at that. Okay, thank you, Keen. Um, okay, so taxes with respect to Bitcoin, I you know it's just thinking out loud. It's so um, difficult to accurately predict a world where the what we know and use as money is no longer what we use as money or know as money, and trying to hypothesize a world where, for example, taxes are not paid in dollars, but they're paid in the denomination of Bitcoin. I just, I I can't imagine that it would be the same system. It wouldn't, everything would need to change because it's kind of like a domino effect or everything is built on sort of a pyramid with the base foundation of the, the monetary policy that we follow. But if the monetary policy changes, then everything else will also have to change. So, um, this this part of the discussion with respect to Bitcoin and hyper hyper Bitcoinization, I I, I kind of want to ask or pose this thought that um, in this case study that we produced for MicroStrategy, uh, Michael Saylor has said we've written it in he he's never going to sell his Bitcoin, and I I want to see the next part of this conversation with you know what does that mean for people you know why when people say they're never going to sell their Bitcoin then why do they hold Bitcoin like what's <laughs> what's the point of that. Right. It, 
that's a, that's a good question. Like, why would you never sell your Bitcoin? Like, how are you supposed to buy food, for example, if you don't sell your Bitcoin? And I think you got to go back a couple hundred years to uh, to look at how the world. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, it's just funny that we're trying to hypothesize something that's that might happen in the next de- couple decades. <laughs> and in order to explain that, we're going back a couple hundred years. Yeah. That is really funny, actually. <laughs> yeah, the nothing last... in the present makes sense. It's all either the past or the future. Well, I kind of believe that, though. Like it, we live in such a weird world as far as the way that we think and treat money. Like our money right now, uh, like the Canadian dollars that I have in my pocket for the first time in eight months, um, like it's plastic, and it's uh, like propped up and being printed all the time by our uh, the canadian uh, mint and let's go back a couple hundred okay years. yeah thank you get me <laughs> back on track <laughs> uh okay going back a couple hundred years people use gold as money and coins were made by gold and gold's known as a bearer instrument which means it is the thing that has value whereas the canadian dollar it's not a bearer instrument it's not a thing that has value but um on a gold back system it can be redeemed for the thing that has value uh it's it's complicated so actually i want to insert something here so we did um, an episode called money bitcoin and time deep dive one it was based on this article written by robert breedlove named money bitcoin and time that's right i think in that order and in that he said something like this money is a tool that um that allows or facilitates the transfer of value across space and time money is supposed to be that tool now fiat which is government currency that serves as a tool to transfer value across space, but not time. And the reason for that is because 50 years ago, what you could purchase for $5 is very different from today, where you cannot purchase the same amount of things um, for $5. So great, $5, yes, paper, note, plastic, note, whatever, you can, it's great to take it over space, but over time, it doesn't really hold its value. And with respect to gold, you've gone back a couple hundred years and it is a great preservation of value over time because gold is worth more today than it was a couple hundred years ago. That's right. Yeah. So gold was a great is a great tool to transfer um, value across time, but not space. Because it's heavy. Because it's heavy. Well, yes, because of its physical requirement or physical um, restrictions and limitations. Yeah. So money is supposed to be a tool that facilitates the transfer of value across space and time. Fiat was good for space. Money was good for time. And uh, Bitcoin. Gold, gold is good for time. Sorry, thank you. Gold is good for time. And then Bitcoin, which is digital, digital gold, is the, uh, the marriage of something that facilitates the value, the transfer of value across space and time. Space, because it's digital. Literally, anywhere you have the internet, you will be able to transact with Bitcoin. And time, because 2008, Bitcoin was worth less than a dollar. And today, one Bitcoin is worth 48,749 Canadian dollars. So it's been a great store of wealth over time. And it's it, it hence is a great money because it allows the facilitation of value through space and time. You put that so perfectly. I'm, I'm, I love it. And actually, while you were saying that, you said the word space and time so many times that I was like, <laughs> you know what? This whole conversation started us with talking about a black hole. 
<laughs> and a black hole is like an anomaly in space and time, right? This it's, is true. It's literally called a singularity, which like goes in and actually kind of reinforces the way that we think about Bitcoin as a bit of a monetary anomaly or inevitability, whichever yeah. way you want to think about it. Um, which I just kind of thought was like a very beautiful way of, <laughs> of tying this conversation we're having now back to the whole like uh, Bitcoin to black. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. So hundred years ago, you were talking about gold. Yeah. What? Why were we talking about that? You're going to have to remind me. Well, because I asked you that, uh, what is your opinion on Michael Saylor, oh, the CEO right. of MicroStrategy, saying, I'm never going to sell my Bitcoin. There's actually some people who said that other than my, uh, Michael Saylor, he just seems to have a very large chunk of Bitcoin, which is why I'm pointing to him. Yeah, right. So never sell your Bitcoin. How would that work? Is, if why? I, why is someone saying that? Because you can loan against your Bitcoin and take and take out a cash loan. Okay, question though. Yeah. If in a world where we don't really denominate anything in in cash, or not cash, but in like fiat, so government money, mm -hmm. then what? Uh, then he'd have to sell this Bitcoin. I don't think that we're going to get to a world that is not uh, where the, the measuring stick of value is uh, is is Bitcoin. Uh, well, Keegan, we just started this conversation with saying, what would a hyper-Bitcoinized world look like where you're saying that, oh, the value of this house is two Bitcoin as opposed to 200,000. Yeah, I know, I know. Allow me to, to, to continue. Okay, I think that, that, that like we'll probably eventually have some sort of United Nations-backed um, uh, currency that's a world currency a un backed currency a un backed currency that's right okay uh, we're going to have a global currency so out of an inevitability uh, our the fiat currencies that we currently use us dollar canadian dollar euro they will collapse the un will say okay we need a money that the whole world can use uh let's let's use bitcoin as a reserve for that money and then everyone who currently holds bitcoin at that point in time can take out a loan uh, use their Bitcoin as collateral to uh, to basically seed this new money with value, this new UN-backed money with value. And that will bring us into basically a new era of the earth, wherein we all collectively use the same money. And in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, uh, that that kind of makes us a united earth in, in, a, in a lot of ways, because one of the reasons, uh, like what's one thing I don't have in common with Americans? A currency, their currency. I'm Canadian. I use the Canadian dollar. They're American. They use the American dollar. And yeah, we've got like cultural differences and a constitutional difference. Let's not go there. Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, we've got one of the main differences from country to country is the currency that everyone agrees to decide that has value within its borders. And if we are all using the same currency on a worldwide basis, then we uh, we we dissolve that one more aspect of, of the borders that separate us and we become a little bit more united as an earth. All right. Still doesn't answer the question of why would someone <laughs> never sell their You might Bitcoin. sell your Bitcoin, but like I wouldn't. I would only take out a loan against my Bitcoin. Um, so then why would you want to see a world where things are denominated in Bitcoin? What do you pay? For? How will you pay for those? Right. So I could maybe my the loan that I take out is a, it's a UN Satoshi, for example, let's just call it a UN Satoshi. And if I put in one Bitcoin, I can take out 100 million or maybe 50 million UN Satoshis where one UN Satoshi is redeemable for one Bitcoin. You know what I mean? I don't. I actually Satoshi. think that sounds really stupid, but it might, uh, it, but it might be true. 
You know, like 2008, 2009, when people heard about Bitcoin, a majority of them thought it was a stupid idea, but now it's true. This is a totally speculative episode. We are just spitballing on what a hyper-Bitcoinization world might look like. A skeptist, a skeptist, is that a skeptical person might say that, oh. A skeptic. A skeptic, thank you. Yeah. A skeptic might comment, oh, uh, more speculative than the value of Bitcoin. This episode is more speculative than... Okay, I thought that was funny, but no one laughed. Uh, I hope our listeners laughed, though. Anyway, coming back to the point. Hyper-Bitcoinization. I think that, wow, any hypotheses that we make is solely based on our thoughts of a trajectory that we're going to follow. But Bitcoin was a black swan event, which means no one could have predicted the impact that it has on this world's monetary system. And COVID, I would say, was also, you know, a wild card. No one expected to be hit with a global pandemic. I'm saying no one. Maybe some people did. Mm-hmm. And in the next couple of decades, we have no idea what other wild card or black swan event will take place that will either slow down the progress of Bitcoin, because that is possible, or accelerate and speed up the adoption of Bitcoin. And we just will not know. This is like... You know, no one's clairvoyant here. We don't, There's just so many variables, so many things that could change between now and the future that um, it's hard to predict what a world will look like. Something that I think that, I, I, at least I can say for sure, is Bitcoin is not going away. It's just not. Unless, <laughs> unless the internet goes away. Or like we upgrade from the internet that we use right now to being able to communicate simply by thinking about the person. Uh, which is just a completely unprecedented feat of technology. And it's very hard to decipher what sort of money would um, support a system where we're not connected to the internet to talk to one another, we're just connected to talk to one another with a chip in our brain or whatever. So, yeah. I like whatever that rant was. (laughs) I I, I appreciate it. I think uh, the way that we got to wrap up this episode is uh, by talking about uh, the price of Bitcoin. So in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, what would the price be? And uh, this is kind of a catch-22 kind of topic because in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, we wouldn't be measuring Bitcoin in the price of dollars. Having the Bitcoin, having any Bitcoin would be the, the thing that is valuable in and of itself. And you'd be like, oh, I have two Bitcoin. You'd be like, well, you have two Bitcoin? Like you have two of the possible 21 million Bitcoin? Crazy. Right? You wouldn't think of like, oh, two Bitcoin, that's worth two million dollars. Uh Right. You'd be thinking, I have two Bitcoin that can buy me like 47 cars or whatever. Um, Right. So let's just for the sake of example and for the sake of familiarity, talk about Bitcoin in the price of dollars in a hyper Bitcoinized world Uh, about all the assets on the in the entire world. It's really hard to value how much everything is worth. If you're like, how much is all the houses and all the land and all? I think there's a metric for that. Yeah, I I, I don't exactly like the, the number. Yeah. Oh, it's about 250 trillion. Okay. Yeah. So for the... That's a lot of trillions. That's a lot of trillions. <laughs> In order for the math to work out properly uh, or easily for the sake of this conversation, we're going to round that number to 210 trillion. Okay? Okay. Yeah. So stay with me here. Everything in the world is worth about $210 trillion. That would make each Bitcoin worth $10 million apiece. One Bitcoin equals... Ten, uh, sorry, $1 million. $10 million. <laughs> Keegan... I'm asking you to stay with me on the map, and then I'm like totally botching my my speech here. So 
if Bitcoin is worth the total sum of all, all goods in the world and becomes the measuring stick of value in a $210 trillion world, one Bitcoin equals $10 million. Okay, so right now one Bitcoin is equal to 50,000 Canadian dollars. And uh, in a hyper Bitcoinized world, uh, one Bitcoin may reach as much as $10 million. So that's that's kind of the last thing that I wanted. <laughs> yes. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. Good? Yeah. What are you thinking? That's just the numbers. Yeah, they're actually kind of mind boggling. Yeah. Especially when I don't say them right. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Okay. Yeah, are you good? Are we good to wrap up, or do you get some <laughs> closing thoughts? Well, you know, we've just thought our minds out, thought out loud about what we think a hyper Bitcoinized world would look like. But to our listeners and people watching on YouTube, what do you think a hyper Bitcoinized world would look like? And in order to pose this question correctly, I'm wondering, thinking back a, to a century ago. What did we not have that we do today? And like today we're living the hyper, we're, we're living in a very hyper-connected world. Yeah. And it's hyper-connected because the second something happens in some obscure part of the world and it is connected to the internet, we know about it. Um, what, what else is hyper-X today? Keegan, do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Like hyper-connected, definitely. Like hyper information saturated hyper data i'm just trying to put a hyper between a bunch of words that sound fancy but uh let's just stick with hyper connectivity and the reason why you know sit down and think of this you know why are we saying hyper connected hyper what does hyper mean like too much very much actually right i would say very much rather than too much okay sure yeah. very much and then connected is just to being able to very much connected <laughs> uh, <laughs> being able to talk to one person no matter where you are. So the reason why we're hyper-connected, we can say that right now is a century ago, in order for you to send a message to someone in a different continent, it would take a very long time, like probably months, because it took three months sometimes for someone to go from like Canada to India, I think, or the UK to India. True. Because you would travel by sea, you wouldn't travel by air. And the hyper-connectivity also applies to travel. I was just thinking that like we've built an internet of information and uh, Bitcoin is the internet of money and transportation pipelines. So like train, planes, trains and automobiles is the internet of transportation. And in a hyper transportized world, maybe teleportation is a thing. That's like the limit case, right? Where I can be one place in one, one second and then another place in another. Because, you know, if we take if we look at what happened with information, uh, like you rightfully pointed out, took like three months for information to get somewhere. Lots of friction points in between. In some cases, the letter Which was didn't just, even make it. Yeah. Exactly. Didn't even make it. And that's the same thing with money right now. We're in a transition period where money is uh, very clumsily moved around the planet. Sometimes it doesn't even make it there. It's seized by the government uh, or, or authorities or, or corrupt individuals. Exactly. And now we're entering a, a point in time where money can be one place one second and in another, another place in another. Because it's everywhere all the time. Yeah. With the money being on the internet. Oh, and I just love the idea of teleportation. I can't wait till <laughs> I can like 
walk into my teleportation device in the morning and just be at work. It sounds bonkers right now, but in, you know, maybe 50 years, 70 years, it's not going to be a thing. And maybe cash will come back then because then you can just <laughs> bring cash to somewhere or literally send them physical cash. But we digress. So, you know, compared to a century ago, I hope that was a century ago, uh, where we where it took three months for something to get from one place to another. Yeah. We live in a hyper-connected world because for a message to travel from one place to another, it takes less than a second. You know, you 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 fail to send a message if you mistype the email, or <laughs> if you didn't hit the happened. send button, <laughs> or if you haven't said this. You know, all of these really silly things. So um, the number of friction points is definitely decreased for connectivity now. So hyper hyper Bitcoinization is essentially like hyper monetary monetization, hyper value transfer. Yeah. Um, hyper accessibility of money yeah hyper accessibility of money profitability of uh of whatever you do so if you're a creative creator of any kind it'll it is right now getting so much easier for you to monetize your work your creativity your mind this podcast is an excellent example of that i mean we haven't monetized it but it's something that we create and that uh, we can instantly put in the pockets of uh, well whoever wants to listen yeah so Question to you, what does a hyper-Bitcoinized world look like to you? You can send in your thoughts at readyatgofulcorporate.com or just say, hey, I have this fantastic thought I want to share with you on this. Um, send us an email. We can just get on a call and listen to your thought and perhaps even get you to voice it on the podcast. That'd be pretty cool. It would be cool. Yeah. We'll read them out. Yeah. So, or tweet at us too. That's, that's, that's fine too. So there you go. That's how I want to end this episode. Beautiful. Um, do we have any upcoming things that we need to promote? Uh, any, uh, any oh my gosh, uh, social you? media channels? This is true. Um, well, we will be hosting a webinar on the 23rd of January, which is a Saturday. Um, which is actually a, a week from when this podcast will be released. So if you wanted to uh, attend this webinar, you will have to email us because it's like we're promoting it on very few channels, trying to keep it really closed and nice and cozy so we can tend to everyone who attends. So yeah, if, if you're interested, uh, let us know. Just ready to go for crypto. We'll put a link in the show notes as well where you can just go to the page and um, register yourself so you don't necessarily have to send us an email for that. Wicked. Awesome. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening and stay tuned.